Branding, or when companies send a message that signifies what they stand for, has seldom been more important for driving growth. Throughout all the disruption in the past few years due to the pandemic, branded advertising hasn't been hard to find, particularly among consumer-facing brands. Take Heineken's recent ad encouraging people to get vaccinated, and Dunkin' and Krispy Kreme touting free donuts for customers who have gotten jabbed. Even before the pandemic upended our lives, brands like Ben & Jerry's, Corona, and Ikea started taking concrete steps to combat climate, climate change, while other companies have long been associated with charitable endeavors and social good, such as Ronald McDonald House and the Ford Foundation. B2B marketers deliver branded advertising, of course, but for many B2B companies, branding often takes a backseat to distributing lead gen campaigns and producing content specifically targeting individual customers according to where they are in the sales funnel. Two thirds of B2B companies are either in the nascent or emerging stages of developing brand positioning and brand strategy. That's according to a November 2021 report on the value of brand building in B2B conducted by Google and Boston Consulting Group, or BCG. One of the most salient aspects of the report, among the 330 companies surveyed, 39% said their business purchasing decisions were driven by the brand, compared to 27% for consumer-based purchasing decisions. So why don't more B2B companies go deeper with branding and make it part of the core? Do B2B marketers need to take better advantage of multiple media channel channels available that can propel branded messaging and enable the brand to connect with consumers on a more human level? What's the risk for B2B marketers who stick with the status quo when it comes to distributing precious marketing dollars and fueling growth? Here to discuss why B2B branding is so crucial are the authors of the study. Doug Novak, Managing Director, Business and Industrial Markets at Google, and Peter Dewey, Managing Director and Partner at BCG. Welcome. Doug, I'd like to begin with you by asking, why do so many B2B companies tend to give branding short shrift? And even with all the tumultuous changes in buyer behavior for the last several years, in which buyers are increasingly in control of the purchasing process and knowing about the product itself. Matt, thanks again for having me. Uh, Peter, always fun to do these with you. One, Matt, let's acknowledge that B2B companies have had a ton of success by being incredible performance marketers. Most of them haven't done a lot of branding. So like a lot of new activities that require change, it's it can be daunting and it can seem ambiguous, which I think has been one of the big reasons why we haven't seen as many B2B companies lean in as much as we'd like them to on branding. And one way we think they can get into the game a little bit quicker is by breaking what seemingly seems ambiguous into very small consumable chunks and then attacking thing, attacking the, pro the opportunity that way, for example, by starting with what the goals are. Okay. Peter, is part of the issue here that risk aversion is so baked into many B2B companies and CMOs and marketers don't have much runway to uh, pivot, test, and iterate branding efforts? Uh, we talk about uh, uh, companies that perhaps are dealing with uh, uh, hardware or very specialized uh, and sensitive products in which if something goes wrong, someone could get hurt. Someone in the worst case possible can die. Whereas they can't sort of make the jump where if they produce a piece of branded content and it's not necessarily relevant, nobody's going to get hurt. They just need to figure out a better way to, to produce the content. Yeah, I know. Absolutely, Matt. It's interesting. I mean, I tend to think about this in two ways. One is that the overall sort of company strategic level, and it's there's absolute truth to it. I mean, you of course have to be very careful what the messages you're getting out in the market. But I think that one of the things that has come up quite a bit in the last couple of years is this concept of unpredictability and being able to really tell a purpose-driven story. 
And in some ways, there's almost more risk in not being able to connect in a trustworthy way with customers than there would be to not do that. And so I think one of the main things that we really see and focus on is how do you make that authentic connection that is, you know, getting to the message, the right message to the customer in the right way. The second element of risk aversion that we see tends to fall within the marketer themselves and their lack of risk taking to actually go into different forms of media execution and media buying. And for that, you know, I think there's... We found that there's a common fallacy that a lot of folks think that B2B decisions tend to be a more deliberate and a more well thought out approach. And while that certainly may be true, the emotional component of what it makes, what it means to make a decision as a business is also there as well. And making sure that you're telling both the emotional side of the story, building that trust for the automated decisions that we're making in conjunction with those deliberate conversations is very critical. Is it, uh, when we talk about uh, climate, I mean, is it that lead gen investments just perhaps right now in this moment have a stronger pull when there is so much unpredictability that you talk about? It's a great question. And I think the the unpredictability, what's interesting about it is that it has taken on the flavor, taken on many different flavors for many different companies. And so if I'm in the hospitality space, I'm having a demand problem right now. If I'm in the semiconductor space, I'm having a supply problem right now. And so I think the way that it's manifesting itself is different. In that uncertain world, there's three things that I think really stand out. The first is being able to flexibilize your budgets and your activations is really important. Getting being able to adapt where you're spending money, where you're focusing your commercial efforts is really important. That goes hand in hand with the second point, which is around agilization and being much more agile as a company, working across the teams to understand what are the incoming demand forecasts and, and how does that change things. And then the third piece that I would you know, kind of go back on to what I previously said is that I think that lead generation is critical. It's important. As Doug was alluding to, I mean, companies have grown tremendous growth off of that. I think that building out that push to purpose of what is the story that you're authentically trying to get to is incredibly important in this unpredictable environment. When we have uncertainty in the climate of where things are going to go, we want to make sure that we have a common foundational ground to talk to the customers about. And so making sure there's balance there is critical. Okay. So is it perhaps a little bit of reverse engineering, Peter? Doug, I'd like to uh, get to you in a moment. I think that's exactly right. I think it's exactly reverse engineering in the sense of a lot of marketing I tend to think about is really a, there's a two-speed approach that you want to think about it. You want to have your always present brand. You want to have the story and the trust that you've built with your customers. And then you also want to be there in their absolute moments of need when they're actually in the market to make a purchase, when they're actually shopping for the services or products that you're thinking about. How do you make sure you have the slower speed brand story that's omnipresent mm -hmm. coupled with the in the moment let's get the information to the customers in a way that they would need so i think it absolutely is a bit of that reverse engineering and, and making sure you have that two-speed approach okay yeah and i really like that uh quote about slower speed i'm going to steal that doug i want to get uh, your take which is sort of plays on the last question but it's the flip side in terms of this unpredictability we're living in, is now, again, perhaps piggybacking on what just Peter just said, is now perhaps the best time for B2B companies to cultivate trust, credibility, and demonstrate what they stand for, you know, the tenets of branding. An unequivocal, wholehearted yes. What our research shows is that as many options as there are now, right, so much information out there for B2B buyers to peruse on digital, other channels, uh, more than we've ever seen, what our research shows is that buyers are actually limiting their search or focusing their searches on a 
smaller subset of brands earlier on in their journey, which what is the implication of that? The implication is that if you're not in that consideration set, if you're a B2B marketer and you aren't known to a buyer when he or she's in that journey, then you're not going to be in the consideration set. So we feel strongly that uh, brand building, which ultimately will, will lead to more brand recognition, has to happen. And it's as important as it's ever been. And it's as urgent as it's ever been. Okay. And staying in the vein of that consideration set you talk about, how do B2B marketers bring branding to life in real in sort of what are the steps, the tangible steps initially to bring that to life? So people sort of the, that vertical audience could touch and feel it. Yeah. Back to my first point where branding can seem quite daunting when you think about it in spirit, right? But when you start breaking it down into bite-sized chunks, we feel that it's more tangible, it's more doable. And the way that I suggest clients break down the problem is one, you, you start with the goals. So what, when you think about it as an enterprise, what do you want to accomplish? Why do you feel like you have a need to have your brand out there more, your value proposition better understood? That's typically back with some data, right? So a good first step is to work with trusted partners like us at Google or Peter at BCG that who could help inform you on just what your goals can and should be as reflected in data. And then after that, it's really thinking about, okay, what is a goal that we could achieve over, you know, maybe you have a, a longer term horizon, but then you have a couple of short term goals that you want to achieve. And then you start to break down the problem and say, all right, what are the KPIs and OKRs I would like to measure over the next, three, call it maybe a first tranche of three to six months? What are the assets I might need to help deliver on a brand proposition? Those could be creative assets. They could be assets that you might already have across your organization. It could be um, interviews with your team members. It could be existing collateral, right? So taking stock and inventory of what you have and then augmenting where you might need to initially. But most of the time, what we see with our clients is that they have quite a bit of collateral already, right? It exists in pockets. Don't overcomplicate things. Think about what you have now that you could leverage. And then as you become more sophisticated or you want to engage in more sophisticated tactics, then you could add on top. Those are the things we see that we've seen our clients who've gotten in the game, get in the game faster. And it really starts with breaking the problem down to a series of smaller problems, and then just identifying some of the gaps you have with team mem with resources or assets, and then in closing those gaps. But do all of those roads ultimately lead to what is our story? How are we distinguishing ourselves in the marketplace, uh, particularly when we stack ourselves up against, say, Brand X? And how are we, again, in a real touch and feel, kick the tire way, delivering that emotional punch that we talk about? Emphatic, I guess that's the second time I've used that word here, and another emphatic yes. In my mind, and when we talk to our clients, brand building is all about your story, what value you bring to your ultimate customer. And as in a lot of the spaces in which our B2B clients or B2B companies overall compete, the barriers to entry for new competitors is as low as it's ever been, right? There's more players, there's disruption going on in these industries. And so really the, the opportunity and the challenge is, is to pronounce to the world what your value proposition is. When you're inside your company, it, it's sometimes easy to forget to do that or forget that others might not know what you stand for. So yeah. yes, it starts with that starts with that, but you touch upon something very salient in that. Do B2B marketers need much more of that outside in perspective to help to inform the branding, to inform that storyteller? In purely banal terms, we need to get out more. 
I mean, I, the par- yes, and I, the parallel I'd give you is, or I'd say that's no different from any of the other disciplines that we know our B2B community members can do, right? If you're, if you're driving very successful performance marketing campaigns, you're well aware of the market. What your competition's doing? Who's doing what? If you're engaging in delivering exceptional customer service or customer experience, you need to be well aware of what your customers are getting from other players in and outside of your space. So yes, that discipline is needed. And we have confidence that our that B2B companies can fulfill that because we see what how they're able to use that discipline, use that exercise that muscle in other areas of their business. So it's really just about porting that over to uh, the brand side of the business. If I can jump in, I, I think it's absolutely right. I often think about it in terms of taking a customer-centric approach to marketing and making sure you understand the actual needs of the customers and how you fit against that landscape is absolutely critical to getting all the things that, that Doug said right. If you build your approach to marketing in a vacuum within the boundaries of your organization, what often will happen is that the external world will experience your organizational structure and not necessarily the things that they want or the things that they need. Mm -hmm. And so that linkage across the marketing experience, shifting over to a sales experience, shifting over to an in-product experience, if there's an actual technology product that folks are getting into, making sure that the, the needs, hopes, and wants of the customer are integrated into that and that they're not experiencing your organizational silos is a, a must-have to get this right. In, in the sense of, Peter, that the notion that from the customer standpoint where, okay, they do some good things, but ultimately I'm not feeling it. Is that not to be underestimated, that notion where, you know, I'm just, I'm just not feeling it. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm not feeling it and I'm not feeling the process that I'm not feeling this, you know, it's like marketing brought the lead in marketing's job is done. And now I'm going to pass you to the sales team and forget all about you and forget everything that we've learned about you from a marketing perspective and who you are and the insights and that lost in translation connection from a personalized experience of that person just they had, that's the type of thing that you want to move away from and move into this concept of, of a really multi-moment approach that cuts across the full customer cycle, whether that is the marketing that they're experiencing from a brand perspective, the marketing that they're experiencing on web- websites and on content to the digital journeys that they'll have to the in-person conversations that they may have with sales teams and field reps and the, and the, and the like across those dimensions. It's got to be seamless. It's got to be personalized. It's got to be, I know who you are as a customer. I know what you need and what you want. And I can deliver against that promise for, throughout the entirety of your journey. We'll be right back. Stay with us. We now take a break for a brief message regarding the ANA Growth Agenda. The ANA Growth Agenda plays an important role in boosting the value of the marketing and advertising industries. The 12-point plan supports a wide range of issues that are critical to the development of CMOs and marketers, ranging from diversity, equity, and inclusion to sustainability to brand safety. For more information, please visit ana.net slash growth agenda. And now back to our show. I'm speaking with Doug Novak, Managing Director of Business and Industrial Markets at Google, and Peter Dewey. Managing Director and Partner at BCG about the benefits of B2B branding. Peter, can you talk to the four levels of maturity and in the context of a long-term strategy for B2B branding? Yeah, absolutely, Matt. And so part of the research that we conducted together with Google was to identify B2B companies that are excelling at branding. And what we did was we defined the capabilities that these uh, companies were bringing across the four levels of maturity that you're referencing. And these range from sort of nascent, where the concept of the brand is not really prevalent or not really 
present in the overall value proposition to the company through what we call emerging, which is the first steps of really bringing brand to life over the context of the company to differentiating where we're really starting to think about a brand as differentiating you from your competitive set to the others that a customer may be considering. And finally, the last maturity level is amplifying. When you get into that virtuous loop of the brand helps drive lead generation, which helps drive the brand, which helps drive lead generation and really getting that commercial engine humming across that. And so we spent a lot of research to quantify what it takes to get to the different maturity levels across that and what it's worth. And I think that what we've found is that the value that can be derived from this is tremendous. The difference between being a nascent at brand marketing versus amplifying at brand marketing, there was a little bit more than a 50% jump in the ROI and the returns that you get from brand marketing. And so that going from, from just getting your feet dabbled into branding all the way to the truly amplified mature state is, is a value, a very high value journey for you. Okay. And if perhaps uh, if you stay in that nascent stage, however, could it ultimately be counterproductive? Yeah, I think it absolutely can. I think one of the things that came up in the research is that you're likely going to hit a limit to your overall growth potential. I love the concept that Doug spoke about before the break about this, this idea that when a B2B buyer is going into a purchase decision, they're considering a number of uh, potential uh, companies to work with in that decision. And I think it, the risk of staying in the nascent is that you will minimize the actual pool of opportunities that you're going to have to be in that consideration set and to really push from a marketing lead gen perspective into the sales funnel and into ultimately business for you. And so I think fundamentally the, the business will be stunted with by staying in that. And I think part of the reason for that is that fundamentally performance marketing, lead generation marketing is how do I drive the short-term return? The branding effect, it does actually, we found impact things in the short term but there's a pronounced longer term effect. And so the ability to make sure that you're optimizing to both the short term impact and the longer term strategy, I, I would argue is a must have for a business um, and staying in that nascent category is going to put you in risky territory. Okay. And uh, Peter, the uh, multi-pronged approach B2B marketers need in this for branding, how do marketers uh, execute on that? Yeah, absolutely. There's two things that really come to mind. One is sort of anecdotes and one thing from the study. From the study, what we actually found was that companies that really excel at this take a multi-pronged or an omni-channel approach to their media strategy and to their marketing strategy overall. When we actually look at the dimensions in terms of what really truly differentiated the nascent companies from the more amplifying or the more mature companies, the concept of bringing an omni-channel approach was the number one one differentiator across that. And so thinking about a multi-pronged approach that is truly omni-channel in a very digital world, thinking about the B2B buyer that you're trying to influence, at the end of the day, they are a person. They have a smartphone. They're fidgeting with it all the time. They're tapping into social media. They're looking things up on search. They're reading emails. They're doing this to kill time. They're doing this in all the time. I'm sure some of you are doing that as you're listening to this as well. And making sure that you're present in all of those elements was a huge factor in doing this overall. And so that was a big thing that came out of the research. The second thing is, I alluded to it earlier, but it's really this two-speed approach. Custom Customer journeys in B2B are generally long. They're generally 
it's not something you decide on in five minutes. It's something you decide on over weeks or even months sure. of a decision-making process and making sure that you have that two-speed approach. The slower speed, I'm there. People know who I am. They trust the story. They, they're connected to my business, to the brand that I'm building. Coupled with that urgency in the moment to make a decision is critical. And I think having both the multi-pronged approach in an omni-channel media sense and the multi-pronged approach in a two-speed approach is very, very key to, to win in this space. When Peter talks about omnichannel, one thing I would add is what we've seen is that buyers, this won't be a surprise when you think about it, today's B2B buyer isn't necessarily just buying between nine and five, Monday through Friday. They may be on their tablet or on their mobile device at night, on the weekends. That's the world we live in. So it's important to really think about when you want to attract and obtain that buyer, the tactics that would have worked three, five, seven years ago, they're not necessarily relevant and in some cases irrelevant. So it really puts more, in a good way, pressure and opportunity in front of us as B2B marketers to think through how do we go get a buyer who might be spending a Sunday afternoon in a B2C capacity, right, for him or herself, but they stumble upon some ads that are relevant for what they're buying in their day job. And they explore that. You need to think about the omni-channel experience differently and just really assume that every buyer is, is going to be directly or indirectly coming to you through every channel out there at 24 hours a day. Now, that's really interesting, Doug. And we used to talk about this at Crane's B2B Magazine, may it rest in peace, a million years ago, that, you know, B2B buyers, this was increasingly, and now it's sort of the norm. They don't come in in the morning. I'm putting my B2B hat on. Oh, it's six, seven o'clock. I'm putting my B2C hat on. It doesn't work like that anymore. But to come back to what Peter mentioned in terms of that omni-channel approach, and again, taking advantage of all these channels, not necessarily areas that a lot of B2B marketers are in addition to knowing that there is a person on the other end with an iPhone who wants to be entertained, perhaps. So that plays into the question of talent and do B2B marketing marketers need to change the talent equation and start to recruit, you know, with the skill sets that are going to play into more branded advertising, videography, storytelling, writers, journalists, many of whom have been downsized in the last 20 years because of what have you. How does the talent uh, landscape change, Peter? It's a great question. And that, that last point that you raised uh, really resonates with me, Matt. And it, when we looked at those four maturity levels, what we were able to actually do is categorize what are the key talent capabilities that are built into the teams and into the brand marketers as they go from Nathan all the way to amplifying. And if I actually start on the amplifying side of it, the companies that were really best in class at this, they focused on that creative management and storytelling element to have truly personalized conversations with the customers. And that personalized conversation, it is one part, I need to have amazing content and an amazing story to tell. And one part, I need to know who to put that in front of. And you think about the segmentation of the customers you're trying to get to and trying to get to as best as you possibly can down to that segment of one to really get the right piece of content, the right story in front of that person. The amplifying brands, that was the thing that differentiated them. If you go walk down the chain, it went something along the lines of, Building out that content library and that ability to storytell in a personalized context was the most important. 
from an amplifying perspective, bringing in measurement capabilities was the next most important thing. It was absolutely critical to make sure that you were able to measure the impact of brand marketing and performance marketing in one fell swoop and had a common language to talk about that across the organization. The next most important thing was thinking through data and analytics and making sure that you have a baseline understanding of the customer insights that you can take in from your digital systems, whether it's your site analytics tools, your CRM tools, your ABM tools, whatever they may be. But being able to extract insights and analytics from that was uh, the next most important thing. One of the things that was interesting that did pop out of this research is that in today's day and age, everybody, it's table stakes at this point, is to have some form of digital marketing skill in your organization. So I think that the time to what Doug was saying earlier is, is now. That is being present in digital is not no longer a differentiator. You really need to take that skill set and hone it and refine it through analytics, through measurement, and ultimately through the ability to customize that story to an individual. I'm going to just build on Peter's point. What you're hearing is we see lots of expertise being needed, but the good news here is that when I think about what I heard Peter say, I heard him talk about assets, measurement, and data capability. Most B2B companies have pockets of those resources already. You have folks who are taking pictures and videos of all the the SKUs and the products that you're putting up on your sites or in your catalog. You have measurement team members who are already involved in performance-oriented measurement. Uh, Same thing with data analytics. So don't feel like you have to start from scratch. What I would suggest is take an audit, take an assessment of, okay, what do we, who do we have already on our bench? How can we leverage those folks, challenge and provoke them to grow and extend beyond? But I don't want the message to be here that, oh, I got to start from scratch and build up a totally new organization Mm -hmm. uh, because I think that's going to feed the narrative that I'm already scared that's out there that, oh, this is daunting and I don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. Rather, you have a lot of these pieces. Just be thoughtful about where you fill in the gaps. But are the pieces perhaps, Doug, hiding in plain sight for a lot of marketers? I think so. I think it's very well said. I'll use the imagery example, right? Many of our clients are exceptional at capturing images to sell the products that they sell. They have huge, sometimes very developed staffs that do that. Those folks have transferable skill sets that can help with video creation, other asset creation that might be more in the branding world. Yes. Doug, we do need to uh, talk about uh, the C-suite, an important component, I think, with B2B branding endeavors. So the question is, do CMOs need to make a better case about the benefit of Um, B2B branding? And to Peter's point earlier, Doug, that this is, you know, a long ball. There's a fine line here. The answer is yes. I think that there is an opportunity and a need for CMOs and the C-suite overall to think about the longer term goals that getting more invested in branding will enable them to do. I don't want marketers to create another silo. I feel very strongly that at the end of the day, brand marketing and performance marketing should be symbiotic, should live together, should be conceived with the other in mind. I don't want the message to be that we have to set up new organizations entirely or new total ways of doing things. I just found that that is not a recipe for success here. CMO evangelization around the long-term benefits, important. C-level buy-in, really important, especially when, if an organization hasn't done uh, B2B hasn't done branding in, in the recent past. The other piece, though, that I would say is really important is in addition to C-level buy-in or CMO commitment, I found that when you also need an adv- a more senior, can I say day-to-day, but senior management buy-in on this. It's not enough to just have 
sea level commitment. At the end of the day, you need you need somebody on the team who's going to champion this, who's going to say, "Ooh, I really think this is important for the firm. I want to lean in and, and own this for us, and I'm going to drive it forward." And firms that we work with who have that advocate, who have somebody who's willing to experiment, trial, you know, look at this holistically across performance marketing. That's where we see success. Where we where we see a company struggle more is when even when they have C level buy-in, if there isn't that more on the ground champion, it just doesn't go anywhere. Okay. In terms of uh, really having someone side by side with the, with the CMO to evangelize. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And uh, also very important point you make, Doug, about uh, that uh, branding can't be this silo, this sort of exotic, you know, place we go to every once every few months. You know, it's really got to be integrated into the day-to-day and part of the, as I mentioned earlier, the core. Um, Doug, the budgetary implications here of investing in more branding. Do marketers simply exchange lead gen dollars for branding dollars? How might that work? Isn't branding ultimately more expensive and requires more patience, as we've been talking about? One, please don't exchange lead gen dollars for brand dollars. All our CMOs out there, that's just a recipe for exactly what I don't want, we don't want to have happen, which is more of a siloed approach, right? Because think of what's going to happen. If you do that, then you're saying, all right, I'm moving dollars that I held to this standard over here. Oh, but wait, then the temptation is going to be to hold it to that same performance level result. And initially brand building dollars won't won't adhere to a maybe a more short-term efficient outcome. So then you start to get into the siloed, well, but you know, this didn't work and that. So we strongly uh, discourage just shifting your know, lower funnel dollars to brand billion dollars. Instead, what we want our clients, our partners to do is to, is to take that more comprehensive approach to say, okay. And, and the research that we see backs it up in that when B2B marketers take a full funnel approach, which when I say that, I mean, low funnel, mid funnel, upper funnel, in other words, performance and brand together, they get better results for each of those segments because they're doing it together. So the premise of my question was incorrect in that in order for this, uh, for B2B marketers to achieve success, they really need to have a, a an holistic approach to the budget where it's not an either or. That's what we're seeing um, in our results. We think it's a mistake if you try to compartmentalize things too much. You need to have different KPIs with these different pieces, but to look at them in a vacuum, Mm -hmm. it'll be very difficult for you in the short term to see likely that you're getting the return that that you're used to getting. And then the trap then becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, which is, oh, I tried branding, didn't work. I'm just going to go back to performance marketing. I think your last question actually was really, really interesting to me, which was, well, wait, isn't brand building expensive? And Mm -hmm. what I would say to that is when it's done in a silo, yes, it's going to look on paper really expensive because you're just looking at brand building relative to how you might look at performance marketing and you're you're comparing apples to oranges. But if you think about exceptional brand builders, Nike, Coca-Cola, there is unequivocally no doubt that the brand building and brand dollars that they've invested over many years, but continue to invest is incredibly profitable for them. There's no way they would be investing what they are and have the brand recognition and, and results if it wasn't working for them, right? So I think brand when done well can be an incredibly efficient channel. And Doug, as we start to wrap up here on a purely, again, anecdotal level, are you simply seeing more of your B2B clients just adding just more dollars to branding with a a holistic approach? But again, they're just ramping up 
Yeah. They're just putting more dollars into it. They're becoming, uh, they're adding more sophistication to the process. Yeah. We're seeing that in, in their use of, as an example, video, right? And using channels like YouTube or other video channels where they're finding that it's a very effective and efficient way to get their message out there. A lot of those platforms like a YouTube now have ad formats that actually enable conversions. So while yes, they are brand building, there's a better way to tie back to a conversion or a sale because there's a real time action that somebody looking at that video can take to actually purchase the product or learn more about it, submit a lead. So we are seeing many of our clients, you know, getting into the brand game because for among other reasons, because it's, it's more holistic now, it does tie more and more into the performance comfort world that they live in and that they've had so much success in historically. And Peter, is a media model necessary when we talk about the importance of measurement? So is a media model necessary to measure branded content as opposed to one-offs and a sort of campaign mindset? The way that I tend to think about marketing measurement overall is that there's no one silver bullet. There's no one solution that is going to answer all your questions and all your problems. I think we've eclipsed the hundred year mark at this point of John Wanamaker's statement of you know, half <laughs> right. of my advertising is not working. I just don't know what half it is. Yeah, uh, but it's still resonant. It's still resonant. It's still resonant. So marketing measurement is very, very challenging. It, there's definitively uncertainty with it, the growth of privacy and, and that what that entails for the future. And so I guess, Matt, to answer your question is we see a multi-pronged approach to measurement is critical. Models play an absolutely critical and important role to it, as does direct customer research, as do the, the attribution solutions that can be utilized today in a digital sense, as do things like randomized control tests or experiments with the form of match market or A-B tests or other things of that nature. I think to really hone in on the, the right answer as it relates to branding and performance marketing in general overall is that you really need to think about a multi-pronged approach that's choreographed. You need to think about how these things interact with each other, what you can and can't do with each of them, and how you synchronize them across your marketing buys. Peter, I'd like to get both of your take on this uh, last question, and we've sort of touched on it throughout the conversation. But again, is this for, for branded advertising? Again, is this ultimately about storytelling? Uh, do B2B marketers need to adopt that storytelling mentality in order to do the kind of branding that audiences will appreciate and will not in any way confuse for ad or lead gen copy. Peter, you first, and then Doug, we can wrap. I absolutely think that, you know, you can think about storytelling in a couple different ways, but fundamentally at the core, I, I think that's right. I think that branding has to gain trust and credibility, and you have to make customers feel safe and in a spot that they're going to be very comfortable to work with you. And that can be through storytelling. It can be through experiences. It can be through the different interactions that they will have with you and how others even talk about you from an amplification perspective. I absolutely think that getting back to the core of storytelling will be absolutely imperative and not just coming across as promotional or just purely copy from an advertisement. Getting that, I think that authentic purpose-driven conversation is, is absolutely critical here. Okay. And Doug, in just about a minute, your take? Yeah. I, the only addendum I, I'd make there is to my earlier point about with sites on in motion on digital media now, in the old days, right, sites on in motion, only TV. Now we see it on digital. We do have the opportunity to help advertisers close the loop with clients and provide a brand-oriented message that also can lead to a 
sale, a conversion, a lead gen form being submitted on that as an extension of that ad format. So yes, it is storytelling, but I don't think it needs to be divorced from some of the copy or some of the lead gen tactics that you can, given the power of digital and sites on emotion on digital, you could do with today's technology. Okay. And to learn more about B2B branding, fellas, any uh, websites you'd like to uh, mention where our listeners can uh, see some solid examples of B2B branding and also the, the benefits of B2B branding? Any sites you'd like to mention? We'll share a link to the to everyone for the research publication that came out on sort of what we found and the nuances of that. I mean, of course, feel free to absolutely reach out and connect and talk to us directly. I found all, there's just phenomenal content uh, on a lot of places, to be honest, Matt. I kind of take a multimodal approach on, on a lot of these things. Okay. Doug? Yeah. I would say plus one, right? I'd love for people to take a look at the work that BCG and Google put out together on this. So we'll make that available. And you know, feel free to reach out to us on, on LinkedIn or other channels. We'd be happy to, to connect. Terrific. And some uh, really wonderful insights today. Big thanks to my guests, Doug Novak, Managing Director, Business and Industrial Markets at Google, and Peter Dewey, Managing Director and Partner at BCG. For the a Champions of Growth podcast, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Until next time, thanks for listening.